Community Church over on 104 students are meeting on Sunday nights uh, over at the Noblesville campus. And last week they did that and had over 30 students in attendance. And so if you're in middle school, you need to get there tonight, all right, at 6 o'clock. So spend the afternoon with your family, but then make sure somebody gets you to the Noblesville campus tonight at 6 o'clock for what's going to be a really great time for the middle school students. Um, Well, I want to welcome you today as we uh, finish up. Uh, with this final week in a series uh, that we've called From This Day Forward. And it's been a great series and really a great opportunity to hear from different teachers on important questions that come up in marriage and in relationships. And if you've missed any of the previous weeks of this series, I'd really encourage you to go to our website, check out the podcast uh, so you can hear some of these talks uh, for yourself. Now, while we have talked about different aspects, some important aspects of marriage these past couple of weeks. Today, what I want to do is I want to return to what I believe to be the most important of all. In fact, I would go so far as to say I believe so strongly in what I want to share with you today that I would say that if you have any hope of finding, discovering, or experiencing the marriage you've always wanted, it's going to be nearly impossible to find it without this one thing. Because this one thing I want to talk with you about today has all the power to make all the difference in your life, uh, whether you're single or married or you hope to be married one day. But before we do that, uh, as we get started, uh, maybe by a show of hands, uh, how many of you would say that you are married to someone that's just a little bit different than you are uh, in some different things? All right, lots of hands uh, going up. I mean, there's some little differences, some things that make you unique as people uh, and as a couple. Uh, how many of you would go as far to say that you married someone that is like totally opposite of you? All right, all right. I mean, they are just a totally different because they, you know that they say that in marriage while or in dating I'm sorry while in dating opposites attract when you get into marriage opposite attack opposites attack right I mean all of those little differences that are are kind of cute when you're dating and you laugh about those when you're dating well when you get married they're not as cute I mean there, there's just all sorts of differences between men and women and couples and individuals in every sort of relationship and in, in every marriage and there's some common things I mean there are differences and how you keep time in a schedule. I mean, there are those who are very punctual, right? Maybe you're a punctual person, and then there are those that are just always fashionably late. I mean, that's just kind of the way that they roll. Or, or, or maybe when it comes to, like, cleanliness and, and organization. I mean, some of you, like, how many of you have, like, never, ever made your bed? Like, I mean, that, that isn't even an option. You just, you don't consider it. But but you thought it would be okay to marry somebody whose favorite store was the container store. You know, I mean, you just, you just didn't see the challenges, you know, that we're going to come in a relationship like that. We know that there are differences in the way that we view and spend, you know, th- with money. I mean, there are savers, right? And, and there are spenders. And, and we all know the stress that money can put on any marriage. Uh, you know, I would say Jenny and I, uh, have been happily married for almost 15 years now, uh, coming up on August 1st, and, and we've got a ton, a ton of similarities. I mean, we are both firstborns, uh, we're both pretty neat and, and organized, we enjoy a lot of the same things. Uh, even our, in our weaknesses, uh, we're very similar. Uh, for example, we're both very indecisive. 
I mean, we, we can spend a whole date trying to figure out where to go to dinner, all right, and not accomplish anything. And because we're non-confrontational and because we're people pleasers, we're like constantly trying to read the other. Like, what's she really thinking? What game is she playing right now? What restaurant, you know, does she want to choose? And so we, 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 you can just see the challenges that come up with something like that. I mean, there are times where we never get anywhere. And so we've got a lot of similarities, but do you know what? Like, even in our similarities, even in 15 years of marriage, we're just different. I mean, it's the way that God made us. It's the way he designed us. And then add to that, marriage is hard. I mean, it is. And it's complicated. And we certainly don't have each other figured out and, and probably never will. And when it comes to certain things, I mean, men and women are just different. I mean, we're just, we're wired differently. I mean, oftentimes when it comes to marriage, it is true that opposites attract, and that's okay. I mean, it's one of the beauties of marriage, that our God can take two people, two different people, and put them together and make them one, and even use each other to complement each other in what becomes a beautiful marriage. But the challenge is that when these differences turn into conflicts, and most of the time it starts out as something small and humorous, and we laugh about it, but over time, I mean, even these little things can turn into greater issues. I mean, before you know it, these small conflicts can, can lead to things like resentment and frustration and bitterness. And then you throw a kid or two in there or maybe the challenges with trying to get pregnant, uh, the busyness of life and some financial strain. And all of a sudden, two people that would say they were once madly in love can drift so far apart. I mean, before long, I mean, a couple that was so enthusiastic about planning their wedding is now throwing around the possibilities of separation, even considering something like divorce. And when you think about divorce, I mean, we know, you all know it, it happens. I mean, divorce happens, and it happens too often, and our God doesn't want it to happen. And the truth is that it doesn't have to. And so that's why we've been asking this question uh, throughout the four weeks of this series, this question, is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever? I like to think the answer is yes. I mean, I believe the answer is yes. But it's only a yes if you're willing to work at it. I mean, doing the same things is not going to get it done. I mean, complacency and normal is not going to make it happen. It's going to take living intentionally. It's going to take being intentional. And, and that's why we've been talking about these different commitments or these different practices that we would encourage you to take up in your marriage or in your relationship that might eventually evolve into a marriage. And we've been talking about one for each of the past three weeks. And, and I know these commitments don't tell the whole story. And I know that with these commitments, it doesn't answer every question or we haven't crossed every sort of situation for your life or for your relationship in these past few weeks together. But there are four commitments that we believe that we've been talking about that I really believe can make all of the difference in your life, in your future marriage, or even your marriage today. If you're taking notes, you know, the first commitment that we talked about a few weeks ago was the importance of seeking God first. And what did Steve Wallen say? I mean, it's about seeking God with your spouse. And, and Steve challenged us very specifically to take up this practice of praying with your spouse even daily and just make it a part of your life, make it a part of your marriage. Uh, Steve Davis talked about the importance of having fun, right? And that's a great message, right? As he talked about the face-to-face -face fun, the side-to-side -side fun, and thank you, Lord Jesus, for belly button to belly button fun. I mean, if you're here, if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here, you're thinking about it. You're like, oh, I get it. See, you shouldn't miss. Don't ever miss a Sunday. You know, Genesis, you have no idea what you'll miss. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about fighting fair, a commitment to fight fair, and Tim Gardner was here, and you know. It, <laughs> 
if you have conflict, if you have disagreements, if there's some arguing in your marriage, hey, you're normal, right? All right, I mean, it happens, but the key is what it means to fight fair. I mean, what it means to take up this selflessness, even in our conflicts, so that we might see and hear the side of the other and work towards reconciliation. But today I want to talk to you about a fourth commitment, and it's about never giving up in your marriage. And um, before I get started in that, before we get to talking about this, I, I just want to say right up front that I'm not talking about you staying in an abusive marriage. Um, if you're in a dangerous situation right now, if you're uh, in an abusive marriage, I mean, in any way, shape, or form, I mean, you would do well to seek some professional counseling, to seek some professional guidance so that you can make the best choice for you or make the best choice for you and your family. I also want to say to those of you here today that you've been in a marriage that ended in divorce that I don't want you to experience any guilt with this today because chances are you've already endured enough of that in your life. And, and I know that, a lot, uh, that for a lot of you, I mean, you did everything you could to hold that marriage together, but it takes two people to make a marriage work. Others of you, I know that in something like today or even this series, you might look back and you might be forced to think to yourself, wow, I really messed up. I mean, I made this mess, and, and you're even thinking to yourself, even asking the question, if I only could go back and fix things. Remember this, I mean, you can't change the past. Unfortunately, we don't have that ability. But no matter what's going on in your life or in your marriage right now, you can make a commitment from this day forward that things can change, that you can see things through a new lens with a different perspective. I mean, you don't have to give up. You don't have to give in with your marriage. It doesn't have to be a helpless situation. I mean, we serve a God who loves us and forgives us, and anything, all things, are possible with him. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and turn to the New Testament, uh, to Matthew chapter 19, the first book of the New Testament. I want to look at a few verses with you here today, beginning in Matthew 19, starting in verse 3. And just so that you understand the context of this situation that Jesus finds himself in, it's an interesting conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. All right, it's Jesus and the religious elite, the arrogant religious leaders of the day. They knew the law, they knew it well, and they were trying to trap Jesus on this issue of marriage, but even more specifically, this issue of divorce. And, and picking it up in verse 3, and we'll have the words for you on the screen too, uh, Matthew 19, verse 3, it says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. All right, there's the trap. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, let's just stop there for a second. Unfortunately, uh, in this day and in this particular culture, women were really viewed as property. I mean, that's what they were to a husband. I mean, they had very few rights. And, and so a man could say to his wife, I don't want you anymore, and then make this decision to divorce his wife. And it was culturally accepted, and in many cases, accepted by the religious leaders and community too. And, and so that's why the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in this. They knew the Old Testament law and what it had to say about divorce and legal rights. And so they're curious to see how Jesus is going to respond to such a question. And in verse 4, he does. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, and I just think it's really interesting here to see what's happening. Jesus is getting ready to refer back to the book of Genesis. 
And the Pharisees had in mind some other words that were spoken and written out of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, not that these words from Deuteronomy are irrelevant, but what Jesus is doing here is he is making use of a rabbinical technique of arguing from a weightier text. He returns to Genesis from which God spoke about an ideal state for every marriage. And here's what Jesus refers to all the way back to the book of Genesis from God's own mouth himself. And he says this, Jesus responds to them, for this reason, our God said, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then this, this is the kicker. Therefore, What God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, the Pharisees put all of their emphasis on divorce, but Jesus is emphasizing the importance of marriage. And he even goes as far as to say, hey, here's God's ideal situation. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Let nothing ever pull the two apart. Now, the other night... um, I was walking through our laundry room, and the washing machine was running, as it does all the time, uh, in a house of ours with young kids. And I noticed I stepped in a puddle of water uh, on the floor in front of the washer. Well, that's not right. And uh, so I did what any good guy would do in that moment. I grabbed a flashlight, and I got on the floor, and I just started shining it around. had no idea what I was going to do, but I thought, you know, hey, maybe this will help. And what I wondered was, okay, did it go off balance and some of the water pour over the side? I checked the hoses in the back, no leaking back there. And so I'm looking underneath trying to examine, think, okay, is there something dripping from the inside? And the the washer was filling at the moment. And so I reached my hand up underneath the washer and up into it. Now, the one brain cell that I was using in that moment, for some reason, had not alerted me to the fact that the washing machine is working. Why do you have your hand up in it? And so I have my hand up in there just trying to see if I can feel any water. And before long, I realized that my hand was kind of up against the motor, but also up against the belt. And then I heard the washing machine click. Now, thankfully, in that moment, this one brain cell alerted me to the fact, you idiot, get your hand out of there as soon as possible. And so I pulled my hand away just as I felt that motor and belt begin to move. And thankfully, nothing at all, no cuts, nothing. But I laid there on the floor with my heart pounding, thinking, what was I thinking? And trying to imagine what would it have been like, and maybe this is a little drastic, for one of my fingers or more to have been ripped away from my hand painfully in that particular moment. I don't want to experience pain like that. I'm thankful, you know, for escaping a moment like that. But some of you, like, you know pain, and you know it really well, because if you've ever been divorced, you know the pain. Nobody has to describe it for you. Uh, If your parents divorced along the way, I mean, you know the pain of something like that. I mean, you you don't even have to believe what the Bible says about anything, but you know the pain and the reality of divorce, because what happens in divorce It's like ripping two things apart from each other that were never meant to be disconnected. Because the Bible says what God has joined together, the two become one, let no one ever separate. I mean, that's why divorce is so incredibly painful. And here's the problem that I just see too often in society today and maybe in so many marriages. I mean, the problem in our culture is that that I don't think we're teaching. I don't think we understand the full effects of marriage. I mean, the world views marriage as this agreement or as this contract, while the Bible defines marriage as a covenant. And and there's a difference. Now, you might ask, well, what's the difference? Well, a contract says, if you do your part, I'll do my part. I mean, a contract is based on mutual distrust, while a covenant, on the other hand, is based on mutual commitment. 
Now, now, what does a contract do? Well, marriage as a contract limits my responsibility, and it increases my rights in a marriage. And unfortunately, I just think that's what happens so often in marriage today is that we'll say, you know, if you meet my needs, you know, and as long as something better doesn't come along, I'll stick with this. But if you don't own up to your end of the contract, well, then I've got an out. But a covenant, on the other hand, is something so different. And here's the way that our God sees a covenant. A covenant is a permanent relationship. And because our God is a covenantal God, he makes relationships with people like you and me that are permanent. And it's just interesting that in the Old Testament, I mean, the way that people would get married is that they would stand, even stand before a representative of God. And if you've been to a marriage lately or a wedding lately, you've seen the unity candle or maybe you've seen the couple and they pour sand uh, to kind of signify of their lives coming together. Well, try this one on. I mean, have you seen this at any of the weddings lately? What this representative would do is he would take the hand of the groom and he'd take a blade and cut into the palm and he'd do the same with the bride and he would join their hands together in this ceremony so that the blood would mix. I mean, it's about, you know, this symbol, this covenant relationship that two people are entering into. It comes right out of the book of Leviticus and everything that it has to say about covenants. It's about two becoming one, permanent, forever together. It's why Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It, again, it's about two becoming one flesh. I mean, personally, it's why I believe wedding ceremonies and sharing your vows are a really big deal. And, and I just like to say this. I mean, if you're, if for you and looking ahead to one day, if you're simply looking for a cool place to take pictures and to live out all of your dreams for a wedding day, getting married at Genesis might not be for you. I mean, a wedding is supposed to be a covenant ceremony. It's about two people joining their lives together to become one. It's about two people sharing their vows with words like, I take you to have and to hold from this day forward in sickness and in health until death do us part. And that's why we never give up. I mean, marriage is a covenant. I mean, it's a lifelong pledge that I made to my wife that I will never, ever give up. I mean, it's the covenant that many of you here today embrace and you know, and it's your understanding of that covenant that at times is the only thing that ever got you through. Ruth Graham is the uh, late wife of the famous preacher, Billy Graham, and someone once asked her, hey, your marriage to Billy Graham, I mean, it couldn't have been perfect. I mean, especially traveling with him all the time, or with him traveling all the time. I mean, did you ever go through a season where you actually thought to yourself about divorcing him? And she responded with a rather mischievous look on her face. She said, you know, I never thought about leaving. Now, killing him crossed my mind on more than one occasion. Hey, if you're thinking about getting married, or even making plans to be married, the reality is that when you enter into a marriage covenant, you're saying before God and family and friends that you will keep your covenant no matter what. And so when someone asks me the question, well, hey, Paul, how do you know if you're really ready to get married? I I like to respond, well, when you're ready to say forever. Like, I mean, when you're ready to make that commitment, then I guess you're ready to take such a step. I mean, if you're married right now, and you know that it's been hard, and marriage is challenging, and it never gets easy, and it's something that you have to continually work at. I mean, you can do this too, this commitment and this practice that says, I will never, we will never, ever give up. Because again, the world likes to say that you can give in, that you can try something else. Well, let me just encourage you today, you don't have to give up. 
Your marriage can change. It can be better. You can get back to the way that things used to be. And if you're in a mess right now, in a real mess, maybe even a place that you would look at your marriage and you would say, you know what, we are in crisis mode right now and maybe or even consider calling it quits. And add to that, and let's be real for just a moment. I mean, there may even be some that would look at your situation and say that you even have grounds for divorce. Can I just say this? Don't rush it. Seek godly counsel. I mean, make sure you're praying about something like this. I mean, if you haven't signed the papers yet, don't give up just yet. God can heal you. He can heal your marriage. He can heal your spouse. I mean, it doesn't have to be like this. I mean, the same God who raised our Savior, Jesus Christ, from the dead, he can raise your marriage too. I mean, you don't have to give up. In fact, and you may find this hard to believe, but God can take all of the junk and he can take all of the garbage and he can take the affair and he can take the broken promises that you're wading through right now in your marriage and he can use it all. He can bring you through and he can give you the marriage on the other side, a marriage that you've always dreamed of or maybe even more so. I could introduce you to couples at Genesis who have walked through Hades with their marriage and they would never wish their circumstances on anyone, but what they've discovered on the other side, they would never trade it for anything in a second because they never gave up and you don't have to give up don't give up yet friends our world our children our church desperately needs men and women who are willing to say with their lives and with their marriage we will never turn in we will never give up and how do you do that i mean what does it take I mean, what's it take to experience the marriage you've always wanted, the kind of marriage where two people fall in love and stay in love forever? I mean, what, what does it take to embrace an attitude and never give up sort of commitment, especially when life happens and is moving around us at all times? Well, I told you at the top of the message that I believe that what I have to share with you today to be the most important piece to this entire marriage series. And interestingly enough, it has everything to do with how we started, where we began even four weeks ago, all the way back to the first week of the series. And to illustrate just briefly uh, what I mean, I, I want to encourage, if you would, I want to look at another passage for just a moment uh, in the book of Matthew 2, uh, previous from where we were just a moment ago, in chapter 7. Uh, Jesus was teaching. Uh, he's talking about life. And he's talking about what it means to live for God. And he's talking specifically about what it means to not only hear the word of God, but to act on the word of God, because there's a difference. And he's using this teaching method at the time that we call a parable. A parable is a made-up story, but just because it's made up doesn't mean it didn't have a great, strong point. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here. And in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus launches into this parable. You've heard it, and here's what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And so Jesus basically says, hey, do you want to know who's wise? Do you want to know who makes the very best decisions with their life? It's the person, it's the man or woman who is willing to dig down deep, and build the foundation of their life on this rock. He's talking about himself. He's talking on a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the one who centers his or her life on hearing, not only hearing God's word, 
but responding to God's word. Jesus says, when you center your life on, on God, on Jesus, on a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can establish a foundation that will weather any storm. And in contrast to what he's just described, then he says, he goes on to say in verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, while both the wise man and the foolish man built houses, only one house could stand the test. And it's from the man who dug down deep with his life. It's all about priorities and established everything of who he is on this foundation of Jesus Christ. I mean, he laid up a strong foundation for the days to come. Now, what does this mean for your marriage? I mean, why is this the most important message of the series? Again, I mean, it's everything we talked about four weeks ago. It's about you and your spouse seeking God first together, laying up a foundation on these things. It's about building a strong foundation or cornerstone, like the song that we sang just a moment ago, in your marriage together with a faith in Jesus Christ. It's about praying together. It's about reading together. It's serving together. It's choosing a church like this and saying, you know, we're going to make this a priority. We're going to be a part of this community. But I think there's more. There's something that comes even before that. Because what does it take to have or even hope for a marriage where two people fall in love and stay in love forever, whether that be right now or for you one day? It's your life centered on Jesus Christ right now. It's a foundation that's built on him and nothing else. And it's about you husbands, it's you wives. If you're single, if you're in college, if you're in high school, if you're divorced, if you hope to be married one day, I mean, forget that. It's really the key to life for every single one of us here. The wise man, the wise woman, builds the foundation of their life on a relationship in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can't be at the center of your marriage unless he's at the center of your life first. Can I ask you that as we close this series? Is Jesus Christ at the center of your life right now? Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we need you at the center of our lives. I mean, there is no other life worth living And I just pray that you would teach us today, teach us to build the foundation of our lives on you. And God, would you show us what that can do for our marriages? God, I I pray for those who are single here today and maybe waiting and hoping to be married. God, I pray that they would take this time to think about, to consider what it means to center their life in you. God, I pray for those who are here and dating or in a relationship right now, maybe engaged, looking ahead at a possible marriage. God, would you lead them and guide them and show them what it looks like to establish right practices right now to make Jesus at the center of their life first so that he can be at the center of their relationship. God, I pray for those who are here and married today. Maybe things are going well. I pray that you might use this time in them to help them consider how much of a foundation they're establishing on you right now. And God, I pray for those who even here today would say they're in crisis in their marriage. God, would you give them the wisdom to take the appropriate next steps to get the help they need? Would you give them the faith to believe in you and to believe that you can do all things 
that you can take anything that looks impossible and raise it up for you and for your glory and for our good. God, show us what it looks like to live a life like this wise man, like this wise woman, building the foundation of our lives on the one who gave his life for us all. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us, to redeem us, and to give us the life we've always wanted, the life that you haven't planned for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.